and work and opportunities to make a living and to serve others while doing it. I think when you talk about a theology of work, that's what comes across. I think God created us from the earliest days in the Garden of Eden. Uh, he gave uh, a man a, a task. And so all of humanity is looking at uh, being blessed by blessing others through our labor, through our work, the way we serve. We spoke about that this morning in my sermon at, um, at West Irwin Church of Christ. And it's a great blessing to be able to serve, to be able to work, to be able to put out efforts. And we do that in our job. Scripture says that we earn a living so that we'll have something to take care of our own, but also so that we can share with others. And uh, what a great blessing uh, that is. And so I'm grateful that you're spending some of your Labor Day weekend uh, with me. And I'm thankful to see my cousin Gail up there already listening in. Good for you, cool little uh, graphic there. Uh, my dear friend, uh, friends Lenny and Joe Allard in Arlington, and uh, our long-lost associate minister, Davey Carter, who is uh, doing mission work in Arkansas. Actually, that's not true. Davey is visiting loved ones, and I'm glad you're getting to be there, brother. And uh, I know we'll have others that uh, come along with us as well. So hello to you all. Uh, be safe throughout this weekend and enjoy this time. And if you are one of those who is still working and serving others, uh, during this weekend, and so many of us have some time off, then we get that uh, as well. Uh, my dear, dear friend and cousin, uh, Tracy Dean Addison, is online with us. And what a, well, you make me smile every time I think of you, my friend. And I would love to be able to spend some time with you. Hopefully, we'll make that happen sometime soon. My uh, dear friends, Larry and Lynn Murphy, also joining in. So I hope that if you have your Bible, you'll turn it into uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this is one of those great, great passages. I know I say that every time, whether we're in Matthew or Acts or now going through Philippians, uh, wherever it is, uh, this coming week on Tuesday and Thursday, I begin a new study in the Psalms. I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be quite a blessing I'm going to make those lessons a little bit shorter than the Matthew and Acts lessons were. They were about an hour. I'm going to try to make those Psalms lessons closer to what we're looking at with the Philippian study here, which is uh, about uh, 30 minutes or so. Uh, but it will be a great study, and for such a difficult time that our nation continues to be in, I believe that those will be an encouragement for us to be reminded of the great songbook and prayer book that uh, the Old Testament Jews used and that we use so much today as well. So many of our wonderful contemporary Christian songs, so many of our classic hymns uh, are taken sometimes word for word from the Psalms, depending on the version that you're reading. So it's great to be with you. We looked through Philippians chapter 1 before, and so now that Eric and Cindy have joined us, I think that must mean that it's time to start. Glad to see that you all are online with us. Miss you so much, and hope that your Labor Day weekend is going well uh, uh, as well. Um, so Philippians 2 is really a, um, these 11 verses are so powerful, and we'll look at the first part today and the next part uh, next Sunday, but it's such a, it's such a critical call to unity and to unselfishness, and to being willing to sacrifice and to serve. 
I believe that these verses, um, very similar to Ephesians 4, where we'll go to in just a few moments, tell us what, what Christian unity looks like. And really, they tell us what is required for Christian unity, because the key is not uniformity. One of the things that amazes me about the New Testament church, in other words, the church we read about in the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation, that church, and I know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are talking about Jesus during his time, but you also have to remember that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written during the days of the church, and they were written to the church. And so as we read those Gospels, we Keep in mind that it's uh, describing the, the birth and life and ministry and trials and death and resurrection of Jesus and those appearances before he ascended, but it also is a message to the church, just like we read those Gospels today to help us understand what it means, what it looks like uh, to be the church. That's what um, the first century Christians did as well when those four Gospel writers sent those uh, great uh, uh, Gospels out. And of course, the, the book of Acts that we went through uh, in depth over the last uh, few months uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I hope that if you didn't have a chance to be involved in that study, you will. I, I loved going through each of those chapters, uh, mostly one chapter a lesson, and being able to read the narrative and describe what Paul lived through, what the first century Christians were living through, uh, during that, those first few decades of the church. And then, of course, all the letters, such as the one we're reading about today in Philippians, and the ones we'll mention, uh, such as Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, and, and then, of course, the Revelation that uh, describes. It's such a powerful book of worship. If you always wanted to do some studies on Revelation, I, I, there are so many great and wonderful uh, commentaries out there and study uh, helps. One of the ones that I have found to be the most unique about Revelation is from Eugene Peterson, and he describes it as a book of worship. Uh, and that's certainly the case as uh, John begins with this incredible vision of Jesus, and, um, and then the, the, uh, especially those chapters, chapters 4 and 5, uh, where he describes the, man, the one on the throne and the lamb who looks as if he had been slain. Great, great uh, passages. All of those written to uh, first century Christians and to 21st century Christians about how to live, what the church should look like, what the Christian life looks like that is done faithfully. And Philippians 2 is one of those passages that, that makes you stop and say, wow, this is, this, is, this is what God expects my life to look like. And it is as far away from that scene of, well, I think what God wants for me is to be happy. I think what God wants for me is to get my own way and to do things the way I want to do them and to live my life the way I want to live it. That Philippians 2 is as far away from that as you can go to. And the passage is, is um, really divided up into two parts, Philippians 2, 1 through 11 is, and that's how I'm going to cover it. Today, we'll look at the first four verses and then uh, next week, we'll, we'll uh, look at verses 5 through 11, that incredible passage that so many of us have loved uh, ever since we first read it. Um, and so, again, what Philippians 2 is all about is unity. And again, it is not unity in sameness, 
in uniformity. It's, it's unity in diversity. It is an acknowledgement that Christians are different, that we have different interests, uh, we have different uh, passions, we have different uh, gifts and skills, uh, we have different roles to play, and at the same time, we are uh, unified. We are united in our service of Christ, and we are on the same team in spite of those differences. It makes uh, unity very difficult uh, to not have uniformity, to not uh, be united in the sense that we're all just alike. But that's really not unity. Um, unity is where even in the midst of our differences, we still are together and, uh, and we still are one. That's the New Testament church. And I think God does that on purpose so that he can give us tasks that are very different. Uh, with our church at West Irwin here in Tyler, we are uh, composed of uh, several hundred people who are, are very different and many have very different skills and desires and interests. And, um, you know, for some who are serving one way, there are others who would look at that ministry opportunity and say, you know, I'm glad our church is doing that, but that's not where I want to be involved. But the key is, are you involved? Are you serving? Are you willing to put your uh, life uh, behind the needs and values and life of someone else? And that's really what Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11 is all about. And what it specifically is talking about is putting our lives behind the cross of Christ and letting the cross of Jesus Christ mold us and direct us as to how we are to live. And what happens when um, we may have uh, some differences between ourselves and other, um, other church members, other family members in Christ. So it's, it's interesting to read, and I'm looking forward to today and to next week. And so let's, let's get to it. Uh, again, it's divided up into two parts, the message and the illustration. As powerful a passage as Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is, it is not the message. It is the illustration of the message. And it's one of the most powerful passages you can read in Scripture. And yet it is given to us so that we can know what this looks like that we're reading about today in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. So here's that great passage. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Again, this message is a call to unity, but it's a call to unity from a certain perspective. And that perspective, again, is not because you're just alike, but rather it's because you act unselfishly toward each other. It's because you put others before yourself. 
And for the church to be unified, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a bunch of people knocking, knocking themselves out, trying to serve each other and trying to make sure that they, each other is uh, blessed and finds that fulfillment in their life and is being molded more and more in the image of Jesus. So as we look at this passage, let's just talk about some of the things that Paul says, and then we're going to look at a few other passages and then read it together with the illustration of what this looks like, the verses that follow. So he begins, of course, with therefore, and we have spent over the last two or three weeks that call of, um, of Philippians chapter 1, that message from uh, Paul, and as he writes to this church that he loved so dearly, that supported him financially, uh, as well as emotionally and spiritually through their prayers. And, and he talks to them in that last part of Philippians 1 as he reminds them that he is in prison still when he began the church there in Philippi. He, he and Silas spent a night in jail and converted the jailer in the process, as you remember that great story from Acts 16. But as they went to Philippi, they were answering that Macedonian call, that vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And they did. And, and so the church at Philippi began, and Paul talks to them about the difficulty that, that he had from the very start, and then the difficulty that he's in, even as he writes this epistle, this letter to them, uh, in jail, likely at Rome, uh, likely during that time at the end of the book of Acts in Acts 28, when Paul is uh, there in Rome awaiting his appeal uh, to Caesar. And so all of those things talking about in chapter 1, Paul saying, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to be released or not. I think I am because I think God has more work for me. But whether I do or, or whether I'm put to death for the cause of Christ, I'm, I'm going to be okay either way uh, because I'll leave that up to the Lord. If he has work for me here to do in this life, so be it. Uh, but if he is ready to call me home, so be it as well. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, that great verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. And then that call to uh, live accordingly, to live as Christ. Well, what does that look like? Well, that means your conduct, your behavior, your actual lifestyle is uh, faithful to Jesus Christ. And so he tells us to conduct ourselves in a worthy manner. Worthy, not being perfect, not being sinless, but, but being faithful. Uh, relying on the Lord, being on the same path that the Lord wants us to be on. That path includes Christian unity, and that path is a path of unselfishness. It's not a, a path where we demand our rights and demand our way. It's a path where we uh, try to help others to see their preferences and their ways uh, fulfilled rather than our own. That is the way of the cross. And that will be the illustration of this call in the first four verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and obviously what Paul is saying here is you have encouragement from being united with Christ. That encourages you. Uh, and so because of that, uh, you need to act a certain way. And he continues on, if you have any comfort from his love. Well, of course they have comfort from the love of Christ. Okay, if the love of Christ has comforted you, the love that Jesus has for you, if that's been a comfort to you, then that should affect how you live your life. 
it should change things. It, it should matter your conduct and your behavior and how you look at and treat uh, each other. That should all have an impact. Uh, he continues on, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit. And again, that word fellowship and the word common and the word sharing, all of those ideas are, are very, very similar. And so Paul is reminding us of the bond that we have in Jesus Christ. We sing songs about that. Blessed be the tie that binds. Uh, bind us together, Lord, with cords that cannot be broken. If any, tenderness and compassion. Well, those, those two are kind of pointing to what he's about to say, which is you, we are compassionate towards others. Uh, we're not just unified together, but we, we care about each other. And, and we have a desire uh, to help. It's a desire that stems from that deep-seated feeling in our gut, that compassion that, that cares so deeply for others, that it moves us to act uh, towards them. And we think many times of, of our actions in Jesus Christ as being things that, that really are, are great big things. But what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2 is, well, how do you treat your brother or your sister on an everyday basis? when it's not the great big things, but when it's just the little things that they care about so much, does that help you to care about it as well? Not just because it's your own interest, but because it's the interest of your brother or your sister in Christ who you care deeply about. Jesus cared about them enough to uh, give his life on the cross. Uh, one of the passages that we'll look at and uh, that we'll mention today in this reading is that great section of chapters towards the end of the book of Romans, starting in Romans 12, and really especially verses 13 and verses in chapters 13 and 14 and 15, where Paul talks about our differences, acknowledging those differences. And he says, look, don't, don't try to get your own way, but be willing to, to serve. Be willing to do the things that will help your brother or your sister in Christ. Strengthen their faith. Don't do anything that would, that would damage their faith. Uh, but uh, because they are the ones for whom Christ died. He literally says that. And that should be the way that we look towards each other. And if that's how we're looking at each other, then we're going to treat each other a certain way. And that's Paul's point as he builds up to what he is about uh, to say. Verse 2, Then make, if all of those things that I've said are true, in verse 1, of Philippians 2, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Again, that doesn't mean that we agree on everything. In fact, he's going to talk about two sisters who disagree uh, here in the book of Philippians. Uh, in Romans, he talks about what happens when you and a brother or a sister don't have the same doctrinal belief uh, in, a, in certain areas, not those core areas that we all must agree on or else we, we cease to be Christian. But in some of those areas where there is room uh, for liberty and there is room for, for difference, Paul speaks of that in Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15. He speaks of that in 1 Corinthians, starting in really in chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, he talks about uh, the rights that he has an, as an apostle. And he says, you know, I have the right to give up my rights, and that's what we should do. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, similar to chapter 8, he he reminds them of certain things, uh, first century issues, such as eating meat that had been offered to an idol, 
Some people felt that if you did that, you were also uh, worshiping that idol. And Paul said, look, we know that an idol is nothing. We know that it doesn't matter. But if it matters to a brother or sister, then we're not acting in love if we don't consider that. And that's the message in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. And then in chapter 11, how that looks when you are partaking of the Lord's Supper, that you're being willing to be considerate of each other, considering the body of Christ, not just the body of Christ on the cross, but the body of Christ that is his church. Uh, he'd already said that in, in, uh, throughout 1 Corinthians, and now he says it specifically in chapter 12, when he talks about the church as being one body but many members. And those members, even though they have their differences, they're still united, like-minded, as he says here in Philippians 2, verse 2. Be, be of like mind. Um, and then, of course, uh, in chapter 14, what the worship assembly looks like if you're being considerate of one another. And what that means is that you're encouraging each other. If you're not encouraging one another in the worship assembly, then it's not biblical. Because 1 Corinthians 14 is one of the few, very few windows into the first century worship assembly, the Sunday assembly, we might call it, that we have. There aren't very many of those, such as Acts 20 is one. 1 Corinthians 14 is another one, and what Paul says there is your worship needs to be, your assembly needs to be something that is encouraging to each other, building each other up. That's the purpose of the assembly, uh, to worship God together. Our focus is on him, but to do that as, as a group, to do that uh, in unity uh, combined with others, that's what the word assembly means. And so we do that with an eye towards our brother or sister, not just an eye towards Jesus, but an eye towards our brother or sister and what they need in this worship assembly that will help them in their Christian walk once they get out of this building and away from this assembly. Um, and then, of course, the great, the great chapter that's at the core, not just of this section in 1 Corinthians, but of the whole book, and that is love. Uh, the greatest of these is love, he says in 1 Corinthians 13. That is so similar to what Paul is talking about here in Philippians 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then he shows us specifically what that looks like in verse um, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And so that's it. That's what he's talking about. And he says that from the perspective of the, the church. Look, this is not about you. And it's not even just about Jesus. But it's about the people around you. It's about the people that are down the pew that you're working, worshiping with or at the building if you're worshiping online or in someone else's house or wherever they're worshiping. It's about them, not just you. And so what Jesus calls us to do here through the Apostle Paul is to be thinking of others and not just ourselves. Yes, I know we need to be encouraged in our faith too. And sometimes we go to our worship assembly with more of a a need to be encouraged than of a, a sense where we want to encourage others. But it needs to be both every time. And in our daily walk, and I think he's talking about our daily walk, uh, our daily journey, our daily interaction with each other in Philippians 2, it needs to be the same. We should look after not our own interests, but the interests 
of others. A great, great passage on this, very similar, is Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Ephesians 4, 2. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And what that doesn't mean, what the passage in Philippians 2 doesn't mean, is that we're all alike (laughs) and that we all believe exactly the same things. How do you know that, Bill? The next verse in Ephesians 4, verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he talks about our differences. He talks about how we have different gifts, uh, different areas of ministry, and our church leaders need to be equipping us so that we can serve the way God has gifted us to serve, the way the needs of the church are. But it's not that we're just alike. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that unity of the Spirit is held together through the bond of peace. Not peace where there's all calmness, but peace even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of differences. There is unity. And he speaks about that. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Uh, wonderful servant of God and, and Bible teacher and, and author, Jim Woodruff, years ago in talking about this passage in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, spoke about the basis for Christian unity in verses 4 through 6, all those ones, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, all of that is true, absolutely true. But he also talked about the atmosphere for Christian unity. Yes, you have the basis, but you also have the atmosphere. Why? Because verses 4 through 6 don't cover every single issue. So what happens when you do have differences? Well, that's where verses, the first few verses of that passage come in. And that's where the first few verses of Philippians 2 come in. Being completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love. That's the message in 1 Corinthians. That's the message in Romans 12 through 15. That's the message here in Ephesians chapter 4. And that's the message in Philippians chapter 2. If any tenderness and compassion make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value one another above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's the Christian way. That's what Jesus taught his disciples. In great passages like Matthew 20, where he said, you know, the pagans, they, they want to be first. Not so with you. You are called to serve. You're called to put others before yourself. Because the Son of Man, Jesus said, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so he says in great passages such as Matthew 16, but especially Luke chapter 9, as he is describing himself as the great Messiah, but he says, here's what that looks like. Here's what that means. It means to serve. And it means for you to serve. It means for you, Luke 9, verse 23, to deny yourself, not demand your way, 
not make sure that your preferences are the ones that are granted, but to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily, Luke says, and follow me. Well, that's how he illustrates this call in Philippians chapter 2. And we'll talk more about that next Sunday afternoon because these verses that follow, verses 5 through 11, Paul kind of scratches his head and he says, what would be the best way to tell you and to show you what this looks like? And he says, well, there's one person that has lived this out, and it's Jesus Christ. And so as we close today, before we uh, end up with the best illustration ever, which is what the lesson will be next week, Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11, this great passage that I'm about to read is an illustration. It's the best one ever written, but it is an illustration of the call in these first four verses to consider others above ourselves, to act in love, uh, to fulfill the needs and desires of others rather than ourselves. Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, Philippians 2 verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I look forward to sharing with you next Sunday afternoon about the greatest illustration ever, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. But let's remember that message in those first four verses to consider others above ourselves, just like Jesus did. I pray that you'll have a great rest of your Labor Day weekend and a wonderful week serving others by putting them before yourself. God bless.